0: In Leviticus, in the first nine chapters, God gives Israel five different offerings by which they can draw near to him and have fellowship with him. And he institutes the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, who are mediators between God and his people. And this is how God is opening a way for him to have fellowship with his people. And all this culminates in Leviticus chapter 9 at the end, verses 22 to 24, which says... Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, They shouted and fell on their faces. And if you remember, I said the people shout with joy. They fall on their faces and shout with joy. They see the glory of the Lord and they are not afraid. The episode ends on a triumphant note. All is as it should be. Everything is good. So that's previously on Leviticus. And the next episode begins with Leviticus chapter 10, 1 through 2, which says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What a contrast. You have have the great joy and celebration at the end of nine, and then at the beginning of ten, Nadab and Abihu die. Imagine the scene, the people are shouting with joy as the fire consumes the offerings and then the fire consumes Nadab and Abihu. It's the same word, consume, that's used in both places. And we've talked before about fall stories in the Bible, how sometimes it goes from a great high to a great low. And this is one of those, one where it goes from from a feeling of, of euphoria to a real tragic low. Just as Adam and Eve take the fruit And just as Aaron fashions the golden calf, Nadab and Abihu draw near with these censers of unauthorized fire. There's a great sense of shock and loss, and it begs the question, can Israel really live with God in their midst? Or is it just too dangerous? Is it too dangerous to have God in their midst? Are they really going to be able to do it? Or is it like having just a nest of live wires in your backyard, and it's just a matter of not stepping on one? After that, Moses says to Aaron in verse 3, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, that's probably a technically accurate translation, but I think it's hard to understand exactly what Moses is saying to Aaron and why he's saying it. So here's an alternative. By those who draw near to me, I must be regarded as holy. By those who draw near to me, I must be regarded as holy. There is something in the way that Nadab and Abihu approached God that disregarded his holiness, his otherness. We could maybe say that they were flippant about how they approached God, and they paid for it. Remember that Nadab and Abihu could go into the holy place. They could go into that middle zone of the tabernacle, They were very close to God, but they violated God's trust by bringing this unauthorized fire. And so everybody saw their judgment. They were consumed in fire in front of everybody. 1 Peter 4.17 says that judgment begins at the house of God. And that's certainly true here with the judgment of these two priests. So when we take the powerful, joyful scene at the end of chapter 9, and then we take this scene at the beginning of chapter 10, we see the blessedness of God in Israel's midst, but also the problem that this creates. God is holy, but the people are not holy. God's holy, but the people are not. So how is this going to work? How are the people of God going to be able to live with God in their midst? And so that question opens the way to make sense of the laws and the commandments about cleanness and uncleanness that God gives in chapters 11 through 15 before we get to the Day of Atonement. And then we get the annual ceremony in Leviticus 16. Uh, God says this in in chapter 10, a little bit further from where we were. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. In the book of Leviticus, there are 37 times where it says, and the Lord spoke. And sometimes it says that the Lord spoke to Moses. Sometimes it says that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron together. This is the only place here in Leviticus 10 where God speaks to Aaron alone. And it's where God gives Aaron an important charge. He says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So the high priest isn't just in charge of overseeing the offerings, but also responsible to distinguish between holy and common and clean and unclean, and to teach these things to the people of Israel so that they know what's clean and what's unclean. And it's in this context that we get the laws on food. If you've ever read Leviticus 11, you read about the kinds of food that the Israelites can eat and the kinds of foods that they can't eat. If you've read Leviticus 12, you know that that's the guidelines for how long a woman has to stay away from the tabernacle after she's had a baby. In Leviticus 13, we get uh, what is supposed to happen when somebody has leprous disease, either on themselves or on a garment. Or in the walls of their house. And when they're clean, what they're supposed to do, what kind of offering they're supposed to make. That's in 13 and 14. And then what to do when there are discharges and emissions from the body. That's in chapter 15. And so what's the point of all these laws? Why do we have these laws about food and about leprous disease? Is God a germaphobe who's just afraid of people passing on these contagious things in the camp? Or does he just get grossed out really easily by things and it's just nasty to him and he doesn't want them to to participate in those things? The answer is in chapter 15, verse 31. God says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Lest they die in their uncleanness. By defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. The concern isn't about contagion within the camp, but about pollution of the tabernacle, about the uncleanness of the people and their sin polluting the tabernacle. It turns out that the people's uncleanness has an effect that gets transferred to God's sanctuary in their midst. When the people are dirty, the tabernacle becomes dirty. And if it gets too dirty, God's going to leave and then the people will die in their uncleanness so the sanctuary bears the scars of sin and evil and uncleanness of the people. And that's why Aaron is to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the clean and the unclean. And it's also why the tabernacle must be cleansed every year through the Day of Atonement Rite that Jeff read just a little bit earlier. So that's where we're going to go next. We're not going to get into all those different laws between verses or chapters 11 and 15. I know if we were doing like an adult Bible school class or something, we would probably get into the the thick of that, but there's just not time tonight. So, and I appreciate everybody who's emailed and said that, you know, you'd love to spend 12, 15 weeks in Leviticus and that three is just not enough. I appreciate that very much, Uh, but we're just gonna have to make do with three. So I don't think anybody's buying anybody sending any such emails. So Leviticus 16, one through five, go ahead and turn there. If you weren't already there, I'm going to read through verse five. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, And shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist. And wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water. And then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel. Two male goats for a sin offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. So these are the instructions that are given after the death of Nadab and Abihu. Probably on the same day that they died is when Aaron got these instructions about the Day of Atonement. And Aaron is not to come at any time. It says the holy place, but really it's referring to the most holy place. If you remember, the tabernacle has three zones. There's the outer courtyard where any Israelite can come, and that's where the burnt offerings are done. There's the holy place, sometimes called the tent of meeting. That's the middle part, and that's where the priests can come, and that's where the lamps are. That's where the table is with the bread of the presence. And then there's the most holy place, sometimes called the Holy of Holies. And that's where only Aaron can go and only once a year. And that's where God's personal presence dwells over the mercy seat of the ark. And even though Aaron is the high priest, he can't just come popping into the Holy of Holies anytime that he wants to. God does not have an open door policy in that way. Not in that way. Anybody can pray to God. That's an open door policy. But Aaron cannot just go in anytime that he wants to. Instead, he can only enter the most holy place once a year. And this is how he's to do it. He's to bring a bull for a sin offering, or if you remember last week, a purification offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, or or better translated, an ascension offering. So a bull for a purification offering and a ram for the ascension offering. He's to clean his body, put on the holy garments, and then he's to take two male goats that together will be the purification offering for the people of Israel and one ram for an ascension offering. Verse 6 Aaron shall offer a bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So remember that last week in Israel's worship, cleansing for sin and uncleanness comes first through the purification and the guilt offerings. And then the voluntary offerings, like the ascension offering, come after that. And that's the order that we're given here. Sin has to be dealt with first for Aaron and for his household, and then for the people. And after that, then, they can offer themselves fully through the ascension offering. And the two goats together are the purification offering for the people of Israel. And Aaron casts lots over them, and one will live, and one will be slaughtered for, the per- for one half of the purification offering. So one is lucky and one is unlucky as far as the goats go. And the live goat is sent to Azazel. And we don't know exactly who this refers to. We don't know who Azazel was. But in the next chapter in Leviticus 17, God gives a rule that if the people slaughter an animal like at their house or somewhere outside and they want to make it an offering to God, they had better bring it to the tabernacle. They cannot be making offerings on their own. If you're going to make an offering to the Lord, you have to bring it to the tabernacle and have the priests do it. They're forbidden to do such things on their own. And the reason why is given in verse 7, chapter 17. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. So if the people make offerings on their own, they're probably going to fall into idolatry. If the priests are not overseeing these offerings, the people are undoubtedly going to slip into idolatry. And so God forbids it. And so Azazel is probably tied to one of these goat demons that God warns against worshiping. And so the goat that survives the lot will be sent to Azazel of the goat demons. Does that make sense? Verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So Aaron kills the bull as a purification offering for himself and for his household. And this makes atonement a word that's pretty common in theological vocabulary and a word that at its core means reconciliation. It means reconciliation. Or if you break it down in the way that the word is spelled, it means at it means to be reconciled to God, to be at one with God. So before there was separation from God, and now there is union with God. There's at onement. And Aaron brings a censer full of coals from the altar with incense, and he brings it inside the veil. And if you remember, Nadab and Abihu, they had censers and they had incense. And what they used to sin is incorporated into this cleansing ritual. And when Aaron brings the incense inside the veil, the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat so that Aaron does not behold God directly and die. And he takes the blood from the purification offering and he sprinkles it in front of the mercy seat seven times. And in the offering system that God gives, blood is a it's a cleansing agent. It's a kind of detergent. And that's not how we think of blood. I'm sure all the moms in the room think of blood as stuff that stains the clothes and is really hard to get out of. But in the offering system, the blood cleanses. Even the most holy place where God dwells is cleansed by blood. And the blood makes everything new, makes everything clean and new. And that's why Aaron sprinkles the blood seven times. And the seven picks up the seven days of creation. And it points to new creation ending at Sabbath. And then Aaron goes back out. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it. And consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. So this is the purification offering for the people of Israel. The goat that did not survive the lots is killed. And its blood is also brought into the most holy place where the mercy seat is. And it's sprinkled in front of the mercy seat. And then Aaron does the same thing in the tent of meeting, which is that second zone where the priests can go. And that's why instruction is given that no priest can be in there at any time. Normally the priests can be in that zone. But when Aaron is doing this, they cannot be there. He has to do it alone. And finally, Aaron purifies the altar in the courtyard by putting blood on the horns of the altar and sprinkling blood before it seven times. And so with the blood of the purification offering of the people, Aaron cleanses all three zones of the tabernacle. He makes it clean from and purifies it from the uncleannesses of the people. And this makes atonement for the people of Israel. Because the tent of meeting has been dwelling among them in their uncleanness. And Aaron has to make it clean. It has to be cleansed if there's going to be atonement, if there's going to be atonement. And the blood is that detergent for the cleansing. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, And confess over all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So the sacrificed goat was just one half of the purification offering. The other half involves this live goat that survives the lots. Aaron lays his hand on the goat's head and instead of slaughtering it, which is what usually happens when the priest lays the hand on the head, he confesses over it all the sins of Israel and then sends it away into the wilderness. And a man who's in readiness leads the goat far out into the wilderness because you do not want this thing popping up in your backyard, right? This thing is supposed to go far away and you never see it again. Now, earlier I said that one goat is lucky And one goat is unlucky. And I think we might have thought that the live goat is the lucky goat. But it's not. The live goat is certainly not the lucky goat. One goat gives its blood to purify the tabernacle. It dies so that Israel can have fellowship with God. The other goat lives, but it bears all of Israel's sins on its body. And it goes into the wilderness toward chaos and disintegration. It is not the lucky goat. It is Cain. It is Israel wandering in the wilderness. It's the two kingdoms in exile. It's Judas Iscariot. It's abomination. It is not the lucky goat by any means. Remember Jesus' words. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The slaughtered goat loses its life, but Israel finds life with God as a result. The scapegoat lives, but what life is it to have the sins of a nation on your body and sent away into the wilderness. It's no kind of life at all. And these two goats map out two different directions in terms of relationship to God. One is moving toward God, that's the slaughtered goat, and one is moving away from God, and that's the goat that's sent into the wilderness. And these two paths are played out throughout all of Israel's history. Moses will say in Deuteronomy, today I've set before you life and death, Choose life. And these paths get played out in our lives over and over again. Whether we're progressing toward greater intimacy with God or whether we're drifting into the wilderness, loaded down with our sin and steadily moving away from his presence, deliberately moving away from his presence. And you take it even further. It's not difficult to see how this separation of the two goats points toward a final separation, a day of final judgment in which the direction you're going becomes the only path that's actually left to you at that time. And for the saved, that path ends in blessing, and eternal fellowship with God. But for those who don't want that and show that by their deliberate choices and who refuse to move toward God, the way to God shuts behind them and all that's left is outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out, and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And who, he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp and the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. So once the purification offering has been complete, Aaron can now offer the voluntary ascension offerings for himself and for the people. And everything in the ascension offering except for the skin is burned on the altar. But the remains from the purification offerings are then taken outside the camp and they're burned outside the camp. And then finally, 29 through 24. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement shall be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So the rites for the Day of Atonement are to be performed on the 10th day of the 7th month. And that's a fitting day because it was in the 7th month that Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. And what did Noah do after leaving the ark? In Genesis 8 it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah makes ascension offerings to God. God had cleansed the world of its violence and wickedness with the flood. But now Noah takes clean animals and he makes ascension offerings. And it goes on to say, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never again will I strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And remember that the ascension offering is also said to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And there's atonement, there's atonement between God and the creatures in this new world that he's made through the flood. And that points ahead to the atonement that God makes possible for Israel to dwell with them in fellowship through this offering system. On a small scale every day and then once a year through the Day of Atonement. And it also points ahead to the atonement that Jesus has made possible for us through his own self-offering, being the purification offering for us and also the ascension offering for us. And he's opened the way not only for forgiveness of sins, but also for union with himself and through that union to become like him, to become holy. Amen. So I know that's a lot. And in thinking about application... If you really want to think about how to apply Leviticus 16, the best way to do it is to read the letter to the Hebrews, read the letter to the Hebrews, because the the author of the letter to the Hebrews has meditated deeply on the book of Leviticus in on the tabernacle and on the day of atonement. And he shows how we are to live that out in, in the context of being followers of Christ. And he shows how those things were a shadow and that they were a copy And Jesus has brought the real things. He's brought a better priesthood based on better promises. So I encourage you to read Hebrews. But I'll close with this thought. The Day of Atonement was a fresh start for Israel. It was, in a way, the beginning of the year. All their sins had been cleansed. The tabernacle has been cleansed. It's a fresh start for the people of God. And maybe you need a fresh start, too. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you've been crutching along in your walk with God for a while. Maybe you just feel like you don't have much of a relationship with God. Maybe you've been saying, I just need to try harder. I just need to be more disciplined. I just need to do this. I just need to make this work. I just need to do better. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You simply have to draw near an assurance of faith. As the author of Hebrews says, let us draw near with the assurance of faith. Believe the gospel. Believe that the way has been opened and that we can step at any moment into the kingdom of God, into relationship with God, into fellowship with Him. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing better. It's about believing by faith that we can step into relationship with God right now. Some of you probably saw today that. an evangelical pastor named Tim Keller passed away today. Maybe you've read some of his books. Um, he's a, He was a very godly man. He was very well-respected and was known for sharing the gospel in, in ways that didn't polarize, didn't antagonize people. He was very well-respected. And one of the ways in which he often described the gospel was this. So I'll, I'll let Keller get the, the last word of application tonight. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Read it one more time. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The veil has been torn And Jesus has made a way open for us to have fellowship with God. And you can walk in this very minute. Amen? Amen. Amen.